If there's one generalization about Las Vegans, it's probably this. We love saying that we couldn't be less interested in the Strip, and at the same time, we are totally obsessed with what's happening on the Strip. <laughs> so today on CityCast Las Vegas, our Friday News Roundup topics are pretty much all on the boulevard or Strip adjacent. You're welcome. I'm joined by contributors April Corbin Gurness and Sarah Lohman, and we're talking about the culinary union on the strike path, Fountain Blue finally opening, and Mr. Barry Manilow. It's Friday, September 29th. I'm David Figler, and here's what Las Vegas is talking about. April and Sarah, welcome to CityCast Las Vegas. Hey, thanks for having me back. <laughs> Thank you. Good morning. Well, I'm full of caffeine, so I am so ready for this. Um, let's start here. Culinary 226 has authorized a strike. April, give us a timeline on how we came to this and what might come next. Yeah, so the Culinary Union has been bargaining with the strip properties uh, since the spring. They started, I think, in around March or April, I believe, uh, and it hasn't been going well. They haven't had any deals uh, yet. They haven't struck any sort of contracts yet. Uh, and so this week we saw the sort of big first showing of like, hey, we are serious. And uh, they had a strike authorization vote. And the actual vote was like 95 percent of mm. voting members in favor. That was about 20,000 uh, people that showed up to the Thomas and Mack Center over two sessions to wow. cast a vote, uh, which again, is just a big showing of support to be like, hey, we are serious. We have power and uh, you, you better strike a deal with us. Uh, they have not set any sort of strike deadline. Usually what happens in these cases is that the culinary or any you know union will will say, if you do not reach a deal by X date, then we will start going on strike. And that could be, yeah. that could look like a lot of different things. Culinary has not said that yet. They have said that there is another bargaining session next week. So I assume that will happen and we will see what comes of that. Uh, if Even if it doesn't happen next week, uh, there there have been rumblings and it's been reported that sort of uh, higher ups do expect some sort of resolution before some really major events that are happening in like two they months. Better, yeah. so, so that's the state of things right now. Interesting. Culinary, as per usual, uh, has a laundry list of demands, and maybe this time bigger than ever. A um, lot of new language also around technology, uh, both existing and future. And I read it as basically wanting protection for workers who might be replaced by AI and robots. Uh, what do y'all think? Is this unreasonable? Uh, does this sort of part of the, the 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 demands stifle potential innovation that Las Vegas needs? No, man. I I just think <laughs> that no way. Was like, that a loaded question? Did I just <laughs> set up I a mean, softball? It was strikingly similar to what the Screenwriters Guild and the Screen Actors Guild were mm. just negotiating for, right? And so to think about how technology is affecting our lives all the way from our movies to the food we're eating is kind of amazing. And looking at what they're asking for as far as technology, they're asking for they're asking to be trained in new technology 
they're asking that if their job is going to be replaced by technology, that they get severance pay. You know, they're asking for very reasonable things to ensure that technology is working in partnership with human beings and is sort of propping them up and like making the experience better, but not necessarily replacing human beings, right? What a concept. What a what concept. A concept. <laughs> I will say I was at an off-strip restaurant relatively recently and I had a robot waiter and it mm-hmm. was absolutely mind-blowing. And so there was also a human Mind-blowing good or mind-blowing what Mind-blowing good. I mean, just to just see this little robot like negotiating its way through the space to like deliver the food and then you take the food off and it like does its little thing and trundles away. And we asked one of the owners about it and he said, you know, yeah, during since the pandemic, we've been having a really hard time getting serving staff. And so, you know, this has become the option so we don't have to keep seeking people. And also if we're doing like a huge party, we can have both people and the robots serving and get more done. And so, yeah, like I think what everyone is arguing for is like, we don't mind if robots replace the, the crappy jobs, the jobs that nobody wants to do. But like, we also want to make sure there is still a human element because also, honestly, I think that's important to keep people coming back to a space is that human element, like having rapport with your blackjack dealer, not just having like a little one-armed robot, like slap some cards down. Yeah. And I think yeah. it's so funny where when people talk about technology, we don't mind when sort of the blue collar uh, machine workers in the Midwest start complaining about robots taking over their jobs. But as soon as like servers do it, we're like, oh, hell no, you're out of line. Like there's this weird discourse we have with it where it's not acceptable because of the service sector. And I think that's a, you know, a flaw, not to to criticize your question, but I mean, in general, people have this thing about it, you know, where uh, because it's servers, because it's minority waiters, because it's culinary, they're like, oh, they're, what a silly ask. But it's not a silly ask, like like Sarah said, you know? You can criticize my question. That's what it's there for. (laughs) But, you know, look, the, the, the normal, like, uh, items that are asked for, you know, wages, increases, more job security, some additional safety measures and things like that. Those seem to be the traditional things. And now, uh, like Sarah mentions, the, the technology is sort of a new rub that's coming into these union discussions in many different fields. But in looking at the very vague and broad uh, principles of the culinary ask, they're asking for things about technology that's not even invented yet. I mean, if, say, there was some brilliant technology that came up that could self-clean a room in a magical way, is is that something that, because of these negotiations, can't be done because you want to protect those workers and their jobs? I mean, again, it comes back to the question, do these type of negotiations interfere with innovations that would be more efficient and allow uh, the casinos to make more money to be able to pay those workers those higher wages that culinary has negotiated. Do you, you see my point? Yeah. I think but you don't asking, like it. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I think that they're asking what the culinary uh, workers union is asking for is severance and training or retraining. So I think that's the opposite of preventing um, you know, new innovations. I they think just that- want management to pay for those innovations yeah. uh, to the workers. And protect the little guy. I mean, I- Because let's be real, though. It's yeah. not like if they do save money on technology that you think MGM or whoever is going to give that to the remaining employees. Ooh. Like, do yeah. we want to talk about stock buybacks and the things yeah. that our corporate c- casino leaders do? Well, because see, I think they're there. Yeah. That's the point of like- uh, well, now now yeah. you're just shitting on capitalism, which, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, but here's the thing, right? There are some major, major events coming up in Vegas. There's Formula One on the Strip. 
That's in November. The Super Bowl is coming also on the Strip in February. Are these the aces up culinary sleeve? I mean, this is serious leverage that they have. Yeah. Could, could culinary bring our city to a screeching halt at a crucial moment, or is that even too drastic for culinary to get everything that they want on that laundry list? I say good. Like, <laughs> I love a union. And, like, I'm going to sit here and, like, boo-hoo about the five people that are going to make millions off of F1 and the Super Bowl. Forget it. Like, I could care less about those people. If you want to respect someone, if you want to respect me, like, show me in a paycheck. Like, I think culinary— No, I get that. But I'm asking you this. I, I look, I, you know, our—, our our hearts aren't unaligned, Sarah. Just the question is, would they pull that trigger? Would they shut Vegas down at crucial moments and give us essentially a black eye? I mean, April, I, I get the threat. I get that culinary likes to back up their threats with shows of force. But would they go like nuclear on this and just say, we're burning it all down during the most crucial times to get everything we want? You know, uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's they certainly posture enough where you would think that. And they certainly have signaled that. Uh, but there's a lot of ways to do it. Like they could. I don't know that I could foresee a sort of kneecapping all, all across the board, but they could shut down something. They could do, you know, you could do strategic strikes or like walkouts and, and things like that. I mean, I think there's a few steps you get to before you shut the whole city down. But also the writer strike, as Sarah just mentioned, like they shut their whole industry down. Mm -hmm. So like it's not unprecedented. And yeah. if it's important enough, and there are a lot of issues that are important. And one of the things that sort of, when uh, we didn't get into this sort of talking point that the culinary is saying, but one of the things they're fighting with their contract is uh, what they say is this sort of big increase in strip casino or resorts, uh, basically shutting down union restaurants and then opening non-union restaurants. And mm -hmm. so there, there's a lot of language in there that that they've been putting out there about um, respecting sort of non-union restaurants' ability to try to unionize, and they have been trying to unionize those things. And um, some of the groups that are involved with this are hiring uh, union busters, basically, who are so known across the country for trying to stop this. Like, they're fighting a lot of things also that are a little well, there's bit always a lot of stuff, fronts. But there's, yeah. there's a lot of fronts to fight or whatever. And I think that these things are pretty important to us uh, and, and to them. And, and I think that they do have that leverage. So, I mean, I could see them doing big things. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know that they will back down. Yeah. Yeah. I hope they don't. Go get them culinary. <laughs> I wish we had media in there to talk about the negotiations that are going and what's conceded and what's not conceded and what are sticking points and what aren't. I just don't trust the, the machines coming out with the information that they are, but ha, ah, well, we'll see. Hey, it's David Figler, and one of my favorite food festivals is coming back to town. It's Vegas Unstripped over at the Palms Hotel on Saturday, May 18th. Over two dozen chefs from some of Las Vegas' most talked-about restaurants creating original, unique menu items they've never made before. Chef creativity at its best. We're talking chefs from Partage, Esther's Kitchen, Milpa, EDO, and more, including this year's James Beard Award finalist Steve Kessler from Aroma. 
Tickets are $150 and are all inclusive of food and drink, so you don't have to pay for anything once you're inside. No hidden up charges. I went last year and it was so crowded in the best possible way. We got one remarkable dish after another, and while it was a little indulgent, here's the best part. The net proceeds go to local charities. So head on over to VegasUnstripped.com to get your tickets now. We'll see you there. All right. Well, let's let's go to a different part of the strip and a different uh, a different concept. The Fountain Blue, wow, is ready to open. Is that possible after all these years, Sarah? What what are we here to expect, Oof. and how long we've we been waiting for this? I mean, honestly, my first question is it is it Fountain Blue? Is it Fountain Blue? Is it Fountain Blue? <laughs> like which one? That's which... really the important stuff here. So let's just focus on pronunciation. <laughs> And I'm not being facetious. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. know. What is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, whatever it is, it is finally opening up. So I think a lot of listeners are going to remember that construction started in 2007, shut wow. down in 2009 during the Great Recession. They lost their funding. The building sat sat there abandoned until 2021. So, you know, about a million years. That's science and math. And now it finally is going to be opening December 13th. So, okay, I've got some insider stats. It's going to have 150,000 square foot games floor with 1,300 slot machines, uh, a massive sportsbook arena, multiple pools, 36 restaurants, a spa, and conference center. Wait, how many restaurants? 36. Okay, I'm going to put a a thumbtack in that one for a second. Mm Mm-hmm. Sarah, April, the last major casino open on the Strip was Resorts World 2021, and it has been rocky, to say the least, for Resorts World. Um, Anyone who's following the news can see that there have already been closures of restaurants. They've already lost their top management for, you know, maybe scandalous reasons, not doing as well as anyone hoped it would. How does this bode for Fountain Blue? And... Even the old school model of beautiful hotel with amenities, is is it too old school for New Vegas? That's a good question. <laughs> you like that question, right? That was a good question. I mean, Fountain I... Blue was conceived 16 years ago. There's a very New Vegas in effect. Before is the Fountain Blue... Like it was conceived, it was being built like while the Cosmo was being yeah. built. Yeah. Which is already over a decade old. Yeah. And that I think of as like the millennial hotel. Like it's like, what are millennials like? They like gothic chandeliers. They like speakeasies, you know? Yeah. And so like maybe I'm being a pessimist, but it feels like the Fountain Bleu is not bringing anything new to the Strip. Like I don't know why I'm going to go there other than the pin we stuck in the 36 restaurant. So Yes, like, un- un- unplug right? that pin. Right. So, you know, it depends on what opens up, if it's going to bring me there. But like otherwise, like none of these other things, I can get this literally at any other casino. So why am I coming there? Wow. April? (laughs) I I don't want to go to the strip. I mean, (laughs) 
<laughs> and I don't know. No, I, yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't want to go there. I haven't been to Resorts World. I'll full disclosure. <laughs> it's weird. I, I'm not. Uh, I think it's a good point about it being just a bygone era. I mean, it's something shiny and new, and I think that that will will dictate it. But I think it's too soon to tell. It depends on how good their management is and what they bring in, and like there's a showroom or whatever. Maybe they'll get some big star or something. Yeah. I mean, there are like attractions that can bring people in, high names, concerts, things like sure. that. They could like. Do you think I think it's gonna it's gonna hinge on that, but I think we are past the sort of like, oh, look at this fancy new thing, you know? And especially because that particular fancy new thing looks kind of like a lot of other things that have been on the strip for a long Very time. Very old school. I mean, yeah. purportedly they have, uh, if not poached, uh, enticed a lot of top management from other successful casino properties into their management team, uh, which is kind of the standard also. Uh, and they've, you know, got some, I think, bigger name residencies possibly headed over to the nightclub scene. April, I get your cynicism. Um, mine is is shared. My dad used to say, uh, Ugh, it's just another joint. And, you know, that was his attitude about it. Um, what would it take to make you want to check out something like the Fountain Blue? Uh, probably some like out of town thing. You know what I mean? Like a concert or a residency from somebody from like some has been nineties pop star or whatever. Like you that's know, your like, sweet spot. That's my sweet spot. I am not a foodie. You know what I mean? I uh, I, I am not sort of driven by that. I don't really do staycations or anything like that. I don't really have any property to that. But I'll go see a show. I'll go see a you know Cirque show or something. You know what I mean? Like those are the the types of Vegas I like. So like that kind of stuff. But again, driven by the actual show, not. The new building itself. Yeah, and Sarah, I mean, you're you're a food historian, a food lover. What would it take for you to need to check out that food scene? Or, I mean, there are are there big enough names? Are there types of restaurants that you can't get elsewhere? David, you know, I I genuinely just looked at like their big announcement, and I'm not like super jazzed about anything you know, that's coming up. Like, I'll kind of wait for the first wave of uh, foodies and reviewers to go out there. We'll see what, like, Las Vegas Phil thinks, you know, um, to get me excited about something. But honestly, it just looks like everything looks like somewhere else that's already on the strip. It just looks kind of, there's a, wow. a very much a sameness in the style and the offerings of everything. It's not particularly exciting. It only says to me, like, if I have a friend in town for a conference and they're staying there, we'll have some some decent options. Honestly, at this point, I think I'm more excited for the Durango opening. Wow. Well, maybe 16 years in the making was uh, a little too long. So, <laughs> well, I mean, it's going to open theoretically to fanfare um, didn't it also catch on fire recently does my memory serve me right oh, that was a quick fire on the roof it was put out right away you know what hasn't caught on fire it's fine and maybe some windows were knocked by scaffolding and then yeah. they wound up falling Oof. down but you know that that that's not uh an uncommon thing for a giant new building either yeah. in las vegas it's not a curse is what you're saying i well i hope not i mean 16 years is 16 years i think that is the record from beginning building to opening for a casino in Las Vegas, and there have been some long stretches. All right, let's go to our last topic. Uh, I'm going to bring this one to to the table because it's gotten a lot more press than I can imagine it deserves in a lot of ways. Uh, Mr. Barry Manilow, he of Copacabana and uh, Mandy and countless hits from the 70s 
I'm not sure how far he made it into the 80s, but he is being lauded now for breaking an old record, uh, and that record is surpassing Elvis's performance um, endurance record at the Westgate. Elvis famously performing there in the late 60s into, uh, into the 70s, 1976 was his last performance there. And he was able to rack up 637 performances in the theater at what's now the Westgate, and Barry Manilow just passed that uh, at the Westgate alone. So celebration in international media, um, stories on NPR. And so here we go. Thank you, Mr. Barry Manilow, for uh, continuing to uh, write this, well, to sing I Write the Songs the Whole World Sings, even though he did not write that song footnote y'all will Barry Manilow now that he has surpassed Elvis's record replace Elvis as our new icon will we get Barry Manilow impersonators roaming up and down the strip and in little small showrooms are you excited about Barry's (laughs) benchmark here more excited by your Copacabana performance at the beginning of this podcast. Whatever, Barry Manilow, I'm very happy for you. Like, I'm glad that you're out there and you still have the virility and the staying power. At age 80. Yeah, age that's 80 impressive. To do this, that's crazy. I mean, Elvis died at 42. Come on. Oh, poor R.I.P. Um, <laughs> but I think, like, if you're going to be part of Elvis's, like, iconography in Vegas is not just the amount of time he was here. It's that he, one, has replicable looks. Like, you Mm -hmm. can't miss an Elvis impersonator, right? I don't know. I wouldn't see a guy, like, in a nice suit and be like, oh, my God, it's a Barry Manilow impersonator. Well, you have not seen Barry Manilow in action. I mean, Barry cuts a very unique figure as well. (laughs) That's fair, but I think that's part of the issue. Like, I couldn't describe his figure. And then I think, two, like, do I want Barry Manilow to officiate my second marriage. (laughs) Barry Manilow weddings, here they come. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So like those two things are important. Replicable look and, uh, you know, shotgun wedding officiation. Are these, you know, can can a Barry Manilow impersonator pull that off? And I don't think so. Do you you have any interest in Barry Manilow? Is this like over the top coverage for something that you don't care about? Am I just barking up the wrong tree? Am I the only fan on this uh, podcast right now? I think you definitely are. I definitely had to look up Barry Manilow songs. I, didn't, I recognized some of them, but I, I didn't, I couldn't automatically tell you what songs. I, think. I mean, I think this is, I think this is a, a, a huge win for Westgate's PR. It was a fantastic putting it out there. And it's it's sort of funny because they're writing on Elvis more than they are on Barry Manilow. I think it's awesome, though. Like, I think it is worth celebrating. And I think it's cool that we have that sort of old school Vegas sort of thing still going on. I think it's yeah. great. But uh, I certainly am a little younger than I think his target demographic. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not going to talk smack about him. I think that's awesome that he's doing it. But, <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. But okay, so, so then. <laughs> And here's my real question. If you could pick any celebrity, living or deceased, mm. to replace Elvis as what has become our unofficial Vegas icon, who and why? I'm Okay, so I am torn. So I hope that I don't steal your thunder, April, because... I'll be very upset if you do. But <laughs> I should... <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> 
Um, because, okay, I did, like, really think about this, and I even talked to some friends who are, like, Vegas culture fanatics, and they said Celine, because mm-hmm. she oh. really defined the modern residency, yeah. and I think, again, if we're thinking I don't know why about... my voice just went so high, but that... Because <gasps> okay. Celine. Celine. Because you were okay. thinking of baby, 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 right? So, yes. like, um, you know, I think we could see some good, again, talking about my second, my imaginary second wedding, we could see, like, a good Celine ceremony but honestly i'm thinking a britney like britney spears iconic looks like we know them from uh hit me baby one more time she has snakes she has (laughs) a crazy energy and i mean that in the best possible way Mm -hmm. so like she shaved head era britney like Everything, every era, the I bor- burned down my gym era. Like I, I love her and I'm proud of her. Oh, so like, imagine like if you saw someone walking a blonde walking down the street in a cowboy hat with a python, you'd be like, oh my god, Great. Britney Spears impersonator. And that is the energy that Vegas is known for. And so I feel like a Britney like iconic like next wave Vegas is is would suit us the best. I think that's a great answer. I like when you like when you asked this question, my mind automatically went to Celine as being like an actual like the actual mm-hmm. correct answer into this uh, because she did have a residency for so long and it was a staple and like people always saw her at Whole Foods and stuff. So she just always felt like she's actually part of Vegas also. Um, so I think she's a great answer. Here's my off the wall. I think Brittany's also a good answer. Uh, Thank you. But. Um, She's too good for us right now, I think. But I would, <laughs> I would not Brittany, uh, but she, I think she's on our level. But, like, I would say also that, like, Lady Gaga is very Vegas Ooh, in the interesting. sense. Interesting. You're um, going new generation. I'm going I new love generation. It. I love it. And yeah. I say this because we've sort of seen in her career this transition from absolutely off the wall, meat dress, crazy pop star who makes headlines and does meat this, dress. but also has mm. banging music, like just amazing, you know, very high energy, very top, like very Vegas already. But also she can hang out with Barry Manilow and croon. You know what I mean? Mm. She can sing out those things. She's got the whole jazz, like slow she it down She loves the old thing. guys, her and yeah. Tony Bennett. Exactly, her that. and Tony yeah. Bennett. She loves that sort of thing. So I feel like, if Vegas is really smart, they're gonna they should invest in Lady Gaga over the long term because she is the person who feels to me like she will be singing at a Vegas residency when she is 80 years old and still oh, killing yeah. it. Okay. As opposed to Britney, who I love, but she might be better off retiring and taking care of herself and stuff. You know what I mean? Like I yeah. think that I think Lady Gaga seems like a lifer. I feel like she's not made to do anything other than like singing and maybe acting or whatever. So but she's my choice for the long term. Is that you know I already know a Lady Gaga impersonator, so I actually love this idea. You know, my friend Sarah in New York, if you're listening, bust out those cigarette glasses. Like oh, you're here the we new go. wave. Absolutely iconic. Like, I can already imagine uh, a Lady Gaga museum. Like, straight up, it would look like Liberace's museum. You know what I mean? Like, it would just be fantastic. And, like, out there, I just, I think it would be perfect. Yeah, the the meat dress, it's, like, it's in the mat or something. So it was preserved. So we can do, like, all right, great. I love that we're million-dollar ideas. Very inspirational. Let's bring it together. We're going to put her at the Fountain Blue. (laughs) At a a union-organized... <laughs> Showroom. I'm thinking about who has performed probably the longest what single entertainer, and there were so many in the 70s that strike my mind. But Penn and Teller, why wouldn't oh. you Penn and Teller out? They've been they've been 
in Vegas for eternity. They used to be yeah. at Bally's. They had a long run there. Obviously, like I think 22 years at the Rio. I- I'm okay with Penn and Teller being our icons right now. Uh, yeah. It might be a little harder for the uh, impersonators. They have to learn some some magic. Uh, <laughs> they but, <can> do it. <laughs> you know, tall guy, short guy, talky guy, no talky guy. I love it. I love it. It'll hit a very specific, like, nerdy audience. Like, yeah. we'll be, I think we'll be bringing, like, you know, a fully new, like, wave of, like, tourists to Vegas if we really, like, start making them, if there's, like, Penn and Teller wedding chapels and things like that. They're invested, and they actually live, live here and do things out in the community that are beyond just the drop-in performers like Elvis was. But, okay, a lot of fun there and really interesting Friday News Roundup. (laughs) Sarah, April, thank you so much for joining me today on CityCast Las Vegas. It was a great way to start my day. Thanks, David. Thank you, April. Will you sing for us now as the outro? Please. Uh, Maybe maybe I'll I'll give a little, (laughs) a couple bars of Copacabana because I want to give the people what they want. I want it. And we have a quick correction. On Wednesday's episode, we said that the entry fee for the parking garage across from the sphere was $10. Well, ever-changing Vegas, that price has now gone up to $20. Whew. And that's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. Our lead producer is Sonia Cho Swanson. Our producer is Layla Muhammad. Our newsletter editor is Scott Dickensheets. And I'm your host, David Figler. Music by OG Moose and all the kimonos. We record this show on the traditional homelands of the Nuuvi, the Southern Paiute people. If you enjoyed the show, eh, go tell a friend, rate the show, leave us a review, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Till then, stay lucky. Her name was Lola, she was a showgirl, but that was many years ago when they used to have a show, now it's the disco, but not for Lola, still in the dress she used to wear, faded feathers in her hair.